Hello, my little sugar cubes. Welcome to the Fitness Manifest Podcast. If you're alive, you are what to do. Let's restore Side effects might include motivation, empowerment, giggles, enlightenment, inspiration. Welcome to the Fitness Manifest Podcast. My name is Teresa Sedeno. I'm a personal trainer teaching you how our bodies work how to incorporate new healthy habits, and how to reach your fitness goals with longevity in mind. Today on this episode, I have Dave Sherwin. And thank you for being here and taking time out of your schedule to to share and and show your advice to all the listeners. I'm excited. I looked through your podcast and all the various topics you've covered, and I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. I mean, I, I could tell right away that you and I think alike in a lot of our fitness and nutritional philosophies. So I'm really glad that you would invite me to be here. There you go. And then I'll give you some time to kind of, I want to learn more about your background and like how you got started into the fitness um, space, into the fitness industry, because I think it's always important and it's, you know, interesting to find out where where people came from. But his official bio, you could say, his uh, his introduction is that he is a practitioner of mindfulness and meditation with a passion for helping people achieve their best health and wellness at any age. So regardless of when you're starting, this advice is going to help you. Uh, And then since 2009, his company has helped over 100,000 people lose weight. After a lot of research and study and as health, health certification, he developed a top seven habits of health which he now coaches on the Diarobi Undiet. And it's a method for attaining ideal body weight at and being at our personal highest health potential with simple to understand health objectives. So I'm very excited for listeners to, to learn the seven habits or principles of health that, that you, you preach. I think it'd be just great if you kind of shared what, what inspired you, what got you into the fitness industry. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my interest in fitness actually goes back a a really long way. I I was a very kind of awkward, geeky, shy kid. Okay. I I was a kid who didn't have very many friends and, um, and, and I was just, I was skinny and awkward and non-athletic. Okay. And in elementary school, I, I also was, like I said, super shy. Uh, but one time in like sixth grade, maybe we had these low, basketball hoops, maybe seven feet high on the playground. And some kids had a small ball, maybe a softball size ball, if I remember right. And they were trying to dunk it on these low hoops. And I, was, I, could, dunk, I could dunk the, the ball. I was taller than the kids, so I had an advantage. Um, but I was kind of like, hey, can I try? And I run up and I dunk this ball. And it's my first memory of actually doing something cool physically. Like before that, I just always thought of myself as the kid who couldn't win the race, couldn't jump over the bar, couldn't do the stuff, you know. And that was the beginning of me developing more confidence through a physical thing. And I started to play basketball, and I had friends who played basketball, and I wasn't very good for a really long time. But I finally made the high school team, which was a big deal. I was not one of the best players by any means, but I was good enough to make the team, which was a big deal for me, and then to actually play in front of a crowd these are all formative experiences for me and helped me to develop confidence. Um, I learned about going to the gym, for example. We would go to the gym and work out and gain strength, and we'd work on jumping ability. And through all of this, I started to learn 
that through physical fitness and through setting goals and achieving those goals, that life overall was better and I developed more confidence in other areas. And so for me, physical fitness has been uh, not only formative in my younger years when you know, you're learning about the world and starting to develop the skills that you need as a, as a grown-up, but then it got to the point where I just loved it and I've done all types of different athletic things. I've just found a lot of, of satisfaction through preparing for a race or setting a goal to do a, a, a certain amount on a deadlift or uh, uh, do something I couldn't do. Um, like an overhead squat. I didn't have the flexibility. So later in my life, oh no, doing an overhead squat became a challenge. Like the first time I tried one, uh, I think my butt went down like three inches with my <laughs> hands on my head. I was like, oh, this is not happening. It's an eye um, opener. Like, oh, okay. I got to, I got to focus on my flexibility. Yeah. And so all of a sudden it exposes a weakness and you think, okay, I don't want to have a weakness, and so I'm going to work on it. And so this one thing at a time, different challenges, wanting to do a marathon, wanting to do a, a Spartan Beast, wanting to do a triathlon. I've, I've done all those things. And, um, and so through that process of challenging myself, setting a goal, slapping down my money to enter a race or an event or do some cool thing, uh, it's just become something I really enjoy. It keeps me in great shape. And uh, like one of the ladies I had on my own podcast said, you know, we, we experience everything in our life through our body. The quality of our life is determined really to the extent to which we can use our body to experience those things. If we have pain, if we can't move ourselves well, if we can't get where we need to be, if we can't go out and do that cool thing that other people invite us to go do, it seriously diminishes the quality of our life. And so to me... Physical health is absolutely foundational to an exceptional life. That's a that's a really important and great point that you you mentioned right now that how we experience life through our bodies. Because I know even like today, for example, I was helping my mom um, to buy it like a screen door, and so I you know we had to jump onto the car to tie it down, and like something like that. Like, when I was younger, you know I. I don't think I would be confident enough that I can hold on to the railing or I can, you know, I'm comfortable with my foot, my, my feet on the car and things like that where now, like, that I'm working more on my balance, I feel like, oh, I can do it. Absolutely. No problem. Like, you know, and it, it it's like the same thing with anything you're in your life. If you're playing with your kids, if you're doing like a Spartan race, things that at least in the beginning, when you first hear about it, might seem like, whoa, I don't know if I could ever do that. But like you're saying, through like small changes, if you, you know, work on it, if that's something that you want to achieve through that challenge, becomes comes that, that confidence that you're telling about too. Yeah. And it, it manifests in every area of your life. When, when you're living the mm -hmm. whole package, right? Like if you look at the problems in our society, okay? Lack of sleep, mental and emotional distress, um, people um, ha having in their older age chronic disease, it's getting more and more common, uh, uh, death rates are shrinking, especially for men. Um, the death rate for men is five years earlier than it was uh, just a few years ago. So we have all these problems in our society, including ones that affect many people on a day-to-day -day basis. We have many, many people on medications, we have people with diabetes. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet, 
what we know uh, from the researchers and people in you know working on on big problems like cancer and diabetes and uh, heart disease is that many of these are preventable and uh, through managing our health again uh, through having a proactive plan where we eat right where we take the right supplements where we do the right exercise uh, where we have a stress management program such as uh, mindfulness meditation or some type of spiritual practice depending on you know what works for you um, all of these things come together to manifest I love your I love the name in your in your podcast I mean, they manifest a great life right and um, and and prevent future disease and and the difference between people making good choices and choosing a different direction than they're currently on can be the difference between a heart attack in 10 years or going out and playing with their grandchildren and throwing them up in the air and playing on the playground with absolutely no problem and having just a blast instead of lying in a hospital. Like this is the long-term effect of making good choices now. It's overcoming that, that obstacle to start and really striving to get that long-term happiness, that long-term a uh, sense of accomplishment, of, of joy, of whatever you want to call it, but it's overcoming that, well, I might be a little bit uncomfortable right now, whether it's learning new to include new flavors and fruits and vegetables into your diet. It might be a little bit uncomfortable to, to maybe learn, okay, well, what supplement is better? Or which one will work um, for my needs and stuff like that? But in the end, it's it's always worth it. There's never going to be a single pill or medicine that is going to give us the, the same amount of benefits that, that fueling our body with good whole food will provide us and moving our bodies and exercising and, you know, taking care of our heart. There, it doesn't exist. And I don't know if there ever will exist a medication that can provide us with so many benefits, but absolutely. There is a silver bullet. There's no single silver bullet, but a good strategy is actually the silver bullet. Like when you have a plan that includes nutrition, supplementation, fitness, stress management, that plan is a silver bullet. It makes a difference between an extraordinary, awesome, healthy, happy life or not. And so that's why I developed uh, the end diet that you mentioned at, at the beginning, because I've thought about this and, and uh, dealt with many, many customers, uh, especially in the area of weight loss, and wondered, you know, why is it that so many people bounce from diet to diet? And, and, and many of these people are not unmotivated and they're not unknowledgeable. As a matter of fact, one of the things that absolutely fascinates me in my, my private uh, coaching, and by the way, I, I, don't, uh, I don't coach for a living. Um, so, so let me just back up before I make this next point. We, we, I have a supplement company. Dirobi is our supplement company, okay? And uh, we've had many people, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, probably well over a million now. I haven't really kept track since 2009, but we, we have thousands of customers a month. And I have a personal, I have a health certification, okay? So I'm a certified fitness coach, but I don't charge for that. What I do is I do... I do uh, free consultations for my customers, okay? Because I want to help them overcome whatever challenge that, that they're having. And that works out to be, I don't know, two or three sessions a week usually um, that, that people will take advantage of that and we'll spend some time together. And they're so enlightening, Teresa, and I'm sure you know this because you're also a coach with many certifications, but, but I find that 
people come to me often with what they consider really big problems, but as we get talking, I come to find out they know a lot about health. They know a lot about fitness. I've even come to have this kind of personal philosophy that everyone has a superpower. As a matter of fact, I always talk about that with them. I'll say, you know what, you have a superpower. I, I, instead of talking about your weakness, and I, will, I do want to talk about your weakness, but what's your superpower? What in health do you know you're really good at that other people struggle with? Everyone answers that question, Teresa. I haven't had a single person go, no, I don't have a superpower. I haven't had a single person say that. They all have something they know they're really good at. Sometimes they exceed me in certain areas, right? But the part that they're calling me about is a part that's really a struggle for them. It is important and I'm not trying to downplay it. But oftentimes, and I'm sure it's true for people listening, think right now, what is it in your health that you're really good at that people around you seem to struggle with? And we all tend to have that. And oftentimes, instead of looking at our weakness all the time, it's better to say, well, what am I really good at? Maybe I should start by doing more of that. How could I supplement that? How could I take that to the next level? And maybe minimizing the part that we're beating ourselves up and potentially even shaming ourselves over, right? Body image being one of those or something serious like an eating disorder, uh, chronic illness, those types of things. And so I, I find that uh, as a coach, everyone that we meet, everyone we come across with is stronger in some area than we are and often just needs fine tuning. The problem is a lot of people don't believe that. They're not willing to do fine tuning for 90 days because of this silver bullet mentality. I love the word silver bullet. It's very descriptive. People know just what it is. A lot of people want the quick fix. And as you mentioned, it's hard for people to get started. I, I think of the words of Art Williams. Art Williams is an entrepreneur. He won uh, Entrepreneur of the Year uh, from the Chamber of Commerce in the United States in like 1985, 84. And he gave a really interesting, fascinating uh, acceptance speech. And one of the things he used to say a lot is, you can change your life in 90 days. And I absolutely believe that. I, I believe that no matter what a person's health challenge is, that if they would commit for 90 days to that habit. See, the problem, Teresa, is... New habits suck before they are great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember there was a there was another podcast that you were a host in, and you told about a story about this woman with the Reese's cups, and I thought that was such a great story, and I would love if you shared it as well on here because it really it highlights what you're saying that even like in the beginning, that new habit is going to be challenging to, to stay consistent. But then after a while, it becomes your new normal. And, and then that particular story you're bringing up, that woman changed her life in 30 days. Because she, what she did is, is she went on our most strict dietary program where you eliminate all sugar, you go low calorie just for a short period of time. In her case, 30 days. If I remember right, she did an 800 calorie diet just for 30 days, taking one of our weight loss supplements and eating uh, clean food and no sugar, okay? And I don't remember exactly now because it's been a few years ago, but it was a significant amount of weight. It was either 30 or 40 pounds. I mean, it was a lot of weight in 30 days. And during that whole time, her favorite treat is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And she kept telling herself, when this is over, however much weight I lose in 30 days, I'm going to treat myself for being so clean in my eating to a package of Reese's peanut butter cups. And so she did the diet. She lost weight like crazy. It just shed right off her. For everyone listening, you can be totally jealous. I get it because this doesn't happen for everybody. And I'm one of those people that I do not experience rapid change myself. But she's one of those people metabolically for whatever reason, boom, the weight just came off. She bought the Reese's peanut butter cups. She took one bite 
And she's like, Dave, it tasted like cardboard. I spat it out. <laughs> My favorite treat. I looked forward to it for a month. And after a month of no sugar, her entire body had completely changed. Her taste had changed. She'd acclimated her taste buds to natural, clean, uh, healthy foods. And her favorite treat tasted like cardboard. <laughs> and it's, unless, until you really experience a change like that, where it almost sounds hard to believe, like, no way, that's, there's no, how could I not like sugar? How can I not like this candy or this, you know, ice cream, whatever it is that you really love? But that's the cool and amazing thing about our bodies and our brains is that we get used to the things that we constantly uh, expose it to. If we get you, you know, we constantly move, even if it's like 10 minutes, half an hour, all of a sudden it, it'll feel weird if you don't do it. Now it's it's the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, and there there is a little bit of a a danger in that story because it, it can contribute to all or nothing thinking. And I don't tell people to never eat any sugar. As a matter of fact, personally, uh, and I also don't believe in cheat days. I believe in treat days. I believe in treats. A treat is a perfectly normal human experience. And when you tell people they can never have a treat again, they're not going to be on board. Very few people are never, ever going to eat a treat ever again in their life. And so, like, for, for me, Sunday is treat day. I try to eat zero sugar uh, during the week. I try to be totally clean all week long. And then... Um, I, I really love good chocolate. I have my favorite treats. I like ice cream, right? And so on Sundays, I have no rules. Now, I do try not to overdo it, but I don't give myself any rules. I work really hard throughout the week. I exercise seven days a week. I eat as clean as I can. And on Sunday, I have a treat. And so for me, and, and I've gone long periods of time uh, on sugar challenges, uh, for example, I've done uh, six weeks. I've done three months of, of zero sugar. And and for me, that never really happened, Teresa. Even during that time, if I had something tasty, it still tasted good to me. <laughs> so I, I haven't had the cardboard experience. I still like sugar, even if I've gone off of it for a long period of time. And so that's kind of how I do it, is I just manage it because uh, I don't believe in zero tolerance. I don't believe in all or nothing, nothing thinking. I think that actually is more harmful. It, it tends to lead often to binge eating. It can even lead to eating disorders. When we tr actually try to be too clean in our lifestyle or our eating, it can drive us nuts. It can actually raise our stress levels so high that it counterbalances the great plan that we have. So there does have to be some realism in our modern day health plans. And and awareness as well. Whereas for for someone like yourself, you can go cold turkey almost with the the sugar. Somebody might say or think, you know, when that when they try to do it, they start to go into that all or nothing thinking. Or whereas maybe for them a more uh, appropriate approach would be baby steps. Maybe instead of um, I don't know, having dessert after each meal, maybe it's cutting it back to only dessert, you know, for one or two meals and then kind of dwindle down the sugar until you get to that no sugar level that you were mentioning. And the, the other thing that I, I kind of, I forgot to mention earlier when you were talking is I do something with my clients called um, great versus needs attention. Because I think that also helps with the all or nothing thinking instead of 
it, it removes that judgment of either you're good or you're bad. You're eating good foods, you're eating bad foods. It's more of, okay, these are the great things that I'm doing. Let me do more of them. These are the things that they need some attention. So maybe it could be something like, um, going back to the sugar example, maybe it means, well, maybe I can substitute... Um, one of my desserts for some some fruit or some kind of savory something else that that still gives me that that happiness and that kind of um, that satisfaction of I'm I'm still treating myself but without that judgment of oh I'm eating bad foods yeah I mean that judgment it is bad and people don't realize so we live in a society that's a high stress society uh, we wake up to artificial light, we go to sleep to artificial light. We have social media, we have more politicized conversation, more politicized news and, and events than we've ever really had before. Social media has changed uh, the world. People that we've never met can say uh, things that can trigger us, right? We have all these things going on that, that our, our, our brains are not really evolved to handle, according to social scientists. And they're telling us that we're, we're not really, you know, so if you look at human history, right, and the, and the, the eons of humans as hunter-gatherers, right, living by natural circadian rhythms off of natural food, off of the land, and staying very, very uh, fit, um, We've gone from that type of lifestyle, a natural and then agrarian lifestyle, into a modern lifestyle in like the last 200 years, which is like really, really a tiny amount in the entire expanse of human history, right? So I, I think that number one, Teresa, for, for most people, when they want to improve their health, no, the number one thing is not hit the gym anymore. It's not even work on your diet anymore. Number one is stress management. I think the vast majority of people would do better implementing a mindfulness and meditation plan for their health and then moving on to the nutrition and fitness than they would starting with the nutrition and fitness because it's not sustainable because because if they're not managing the stress, the cortisol is super high, they binge eat in, at night. And so they're, they're fighting themselves, their hormones are whacked, right? They got cortisol triggering when they should have melatonin, right? They wake up in the morning, their estrogen, their testosterone is not where it should be because of this. Uh, instead of having high HGH, estrogen, testosterone, low blood sugar first thing in the morning, they start off their day looking at their phones and triggering themselves, right? So, so I, I actually think that one of the best things people can do health-wise is start meditating. Yeah, I never, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right that because stress is such a, it's such a powerful um, the hormone. You would call it, I guess, the cortisol itself is such a powerful uh, hormone that really affects us that. And oftentimes we don't even recognize it. We're saying we're thinking of all the things that we need to get done that we haven't done yet that that we need to figure out that the the ability to be aware and to catch ourselves in that moment there's just there's no time there's no energy there's you you know you're on on fight or flight mode versus when you're in meditation and mindfulness like you're saying then you can get you know take a step back and notice oh huh, I never realized that I do that. I never realized that's how I react. It's powerful. I mean, Zen teachers call it monkey mind, right? We all have it. It's a matter of how well we all deal with it. So the problem is when we're at our, our best, 
We're highly motivated, like, oh man, I feel good. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the gym, I got my gym membership, I'm gonna eat super great, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And in that moment, we have high motivation, our thoughts are great, we have positive energy. Guess what? An hour later, we can be, in a, we can be a wreck. We, we, we go from this high motivation to grabbing a gallon of ice cream out of the fridge and eating it with the spoon because we're now in an emotional wreck because something happened that knocked us off balance, right? And that's kind of our human condition, is that nothing lasts. These states don't last. And so... Uh, the, when we're feeling like, oh, I, I feel it, I, I'm at my peak of my powers. I'm going to be so awesome now. Well, that's just a temporary feeling you have right now, right? Like, wait till six o'clock tonight and reevaluate. How are you feeling at six o'clock at night when someone puts a dessert in front of you? Because that's when your reptile brain has kicked you. in. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm going to hit the gym, but yeah. I'm going to have the dessert. And as a matter of fact, when I hit the gym tomorrow morning, that justifies this dessert. Which it doesn't, because we easily down 900 calories in that dessert, and then we, we could work our butt off for an hour and not, not blow through 400, right? You can't outwork a bad diet. It's not possible. But our monkey mind, our reptilian brain, these, this is our operating system. This is our human operating system that we all have. We're all, none of us can avoid it. None of us can stop our thoughts. Uh, but having some form of mental training, Right? And, and some form of, of, of meditation and mindfulness practice can make a massive difference. And then we become more self-aware. We don't know what we don't know. I, I started my daily uh, uh, practice of meditation six years ago. And at the time, I did it because I thought it would be a great idea. And you know, mindfulness and meditation was getting really popular. A lot of people were doing it. And, and Time Magazine was writing articles about it. And, and for a, a variety of reasons, I thought this would be a good habit. But after six months of doing it, I, I looked back and, and realized I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't think I had a stress problem until I started improving in that area. And then looked back <laughs> and went, oh, yeah, I, I had a stress problem. And I have a stress problem. And, and so I didn't even realize it until I started tackling it. Do you think, or maybe you've seen in uh, research that you've read, um, is there a better time to do this mindfulness training? Is it in the morning, in the afternoon, or is it just whenever you are able to do it, that's the best time? Yeah, I, I'm not an expert in, in that area. I do think your second comment was probably the, the most accurate. It's when you're going to do it is the best time. Now, for me, uh, first thing in the morning is the best time. And I I, I like first thing in the morning because I have a morning routine. I get up, I walk the dog, uh, and then I plan my day and I think through everything I've got to do. Because if I don't kind of take care of that and kind of work things out of my mind, that's going to bug me while I meditate. And so I go through my plan. I think through, I might even do a little bit of problem solving or even check email, do a little bit of work. Just the very most important things, get a couple things out of the way, maybe 20 minutes, so that I can sit without worrying about is there something I have to do or someone expecting me this morning to do something, blah, blah, blah. So a little bit of planning. And then I meditate. And then I exercise. Now, one of the things I love about mindfulness meditation is that the idea is not to become a great meditator. The idea is to become mindful throughout the day. So to become a mindful person in everything that we're doing, that includes exercise. 
And so I love meditation right before I exercise. And I try to take that mindful meditative state into my exercise so that all my movements are mindful. So I'm not rushing. So I'm not moving with bad form and that helps prevent injury. Plus I get better uh, benefits from the exercise. If my mind gets distracted, I try to pull it back to what I'm doing. I try to focus on breathing. So my exercise has become much more effective uh, because I go into it in a mindful uh, state. So for me, first thing in the morning as part of my morning routine is by far the best. And then by the time I come out of my exercise, I feel great. I feel like I've conquered the morning, you know. And then I'm hearing more and more people having success with twice a day. So for those people who are struggling just to start a practice, they might not want to hear that. But I've been thinking of adding just a short session um, later in the day. I haven't done that yet, but I have a lot of people have told me that when they started adding another session of just sitting at the end of the day uh, for 10 or 20 minutes, that it actually made quite a big difference. So that's another thing to consider. So the, the answer might be twice a day, um, but for people who have no habit of this at all, hey, start with three minutes to five minutes whenever you can, you can fit that in, just to be developing the habit. Absolutely. And then is, is this the, the mindfulness, is this one of the seven pillars that you, that you recommend people to do? Or is that more, go ahead. You know, Kind of. Let me read them to you and then answer that question better. So the, the seven points of the Dairobiandrite are number one, drink water and drink half your body weight in ounces of water every single day. And if you're on a diet, meaning you're trying to lose weight, do not drink anything but water. If you're at your ideal body weight, it's kind of back to what you said earlier about experimentation, what works for you. Could you have a little bit of wine with your meal? Probably. These are things that, uh, do I remember right, Teresa, that you have a precision nutrition certification? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you, you remember as we, and I have the same one. And so you remember them teaching us, how's that working for you? Mm -hmm. So that's where I think if you're at your ideal body weight, then everything becomes, how's that working for you? Do your own experimentation, develop your own plan, something that works. Anyways, if you're trying to lose weight though, drink nothing but water. The next is eat slowly and mindfully. Now, I would love it if everyone had a mindful plan. What, what we know from research is that about 14% of Americans anyway, I don't know about worldwide stats, but about 14% of Americans meditate. I, I encourage all my clients to meditate, but I just feel like if only 14% have developed the habit after all of this research that we've, we've seen and after it's been talked about so much, what are my chances of getting a bunch of people to become meditators? They're probably low. There are some people, I've met them, that are naturally mindful. They don't necessarily need a meditation practice. I don't know what's going on in everyone else's head. I know that when I meditate every day, it's a good habit for me. And I've proven to myself that I need to do it. I can't say that that's true for everybody out there. And so I'm encouraging people to eat their food slowly and mindfully. And if possible, develop a daily practice. If possible, if necessary, that's a personal uh, decision. Well, I say one one note for listeners, part of eating mindfully is eating without distractions, whether it's TV, whether it's doing, you know, work, obviously, if it's possible um, for your schedule, I know sometimes it's not always, but really trying to focus on the flavors that, that the food has and, you know, putting your utensils down. That's something that the Precision Nutrition, I remember, taught us is after each bite, put your utensils down or to match the speed to the slowest eater in your group. So if you're eating in a group, match the slowest um, 
eater to really focus on uh, just being mindful, like you're saying. Yeah, it's more powerful than we realize. It sounds so simple. It definitely doesn't sound like a silver bullet. And for some people, it actually is. And also, Teresa, we know from research that people who eat slowly eat about 20% less. That 20% is often the difference between being at their ideal body weight or being overweight. And so it's really powerful. Next is um, intermittent fasting. Now, is this something that you do or, or coach yourself, Teresa? I don't. Yourself, um, I like inform my clients about it and tell them to, to try it out if they want to. Uh-huh. The only thing is I, I don't eat a heavy uh, breakfast. If anything, I'll just make sure that includes some protein or just some fruit and a coffee. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I'm teaching it because um, the main part I like about it, Teresa, and for those of you listening, just kind of do a little self-assessment and see if this is true for you. But remember when I talked about the rep reptile brain? Mm -hmm. We know from neuroscience studies that first thing in the morning, our brains are at the the, their best. This is the best time for planning. It's the best time if you're in a job that requires strategy to do that strategy. And that by the time the end of the day rolls around dinner time, we typically are operating more from our reptile brain and, and we're not as good. We don't make as good decisions. That's why we can wake up in the morning, feel like we're going to conquer the world and eat perfectly. And then by the time that dessert is put in front of us at six o'clock, we're going to eat the dessert because we've lost that, 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 that power, the superpower that we had in the morning. So if we can get people to stop eating after six o'clock, I think that's the power of intermittent fasting. Now I, I, I actually do an 18 hour fast. I eat all my food within a six hour window roughly. And that works really well for me. And I've done a lot of experimentation with that. I've done 12 hours, I've done 14, I've done 16. And when I did 18, I really felt terrific. I just felt like it was just really working for me. And then I had to just eat enough calories in the six hour window. That being said, if all people did is stop eating after dinner, the health benefits of that are incredible because uh, most people are eating their worst food after dinner, most people are eating too late and they're jacking up their hormones. So instead of the melatonin rising, their blood sugar is going up and the melatonin isn't there and, they, and then they don't sleep well. And if you don't sleep well, you're not processing that workout that you did, you're not processing the healthy food. Your brain isn't regenerating, your brain stem isn't, isn't releasing that toxin that needs to be released that only comes out in the deepest sleep that we have. We don't have the hormones rising in the morning like the state that I talked about earlier. And so if you're not a fan of intermittent fasting, at least try to cut out junk after dinner. The next one is eat according to the hand rules. And with you again being a precision nutrition coach, you're familiar with those. Eating proteins, fats, carbs, uh, according to the size of our hand, protein the size of our our palm, an open handful of vegetables, um, uh, fats the size of our thumb. So for example, if we're gonna have salad dressing, we don't put half the <laughs> bottle on, we just put a couple of ounces, uh, et cetera. So, and one of the bigger points there is the fact most people aren't getting healthy proteins with every meal. Uh, too many people get too many carbs throughout the day and not enough healthy protein. So just focusing on getting healthy carbs, healthy fats, healthy protein at every meal and then by the time you finish a day, making sure that in that mix was five to nine servings of veggies. So that's the macro nutritional part of the undiet. Uh, number five is observe a simple supplement strategy. No matter how well we eat, I get, I'm a biohacker. I, I do blood work every six months. I don't know if you do or if you're into biohacking or anything, but I like to know. I like to know uh, where I'm at with calcium and magnesium and, and minerals and vitamins. I, li I, get, I like a nutritional panel uh, because if we have deficiencies of vitamin D or omega-3s or whatever, omega-6, 
omega nine. I mean, omega six. A lot of people don't think they can have a deficiency because we get way too much omega six in the wrong form. But reg regardless, that's a different discussion for a different day, probably. But we have all these phytonutrients and chemicals and vitamins and minerals that our body needs, some of which are abs absolutely essential to our health, and we can't get them from diet. And any biohacking lab will tell you that because they're doing people's blood work every day and sending them out these reports that they're deficient in a whole lot of stuff. And so we've just found that even when you eat really, really well, there's some deficiencies you can only fill in through supplementation. So when I say develop a supplementation strategy, I specifically mean find out those things you're deficient in and make sure you are taking those and retest on a regular basis. Test, don't guess. That was number five, and there's only two left. Um, and, 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 the, and number six is exercise every day. That doesn't mean hard exercise every day, but our body's designed to move. And so um, I encourage everyone to develop what we call a personal movement plan, a PMP, uh, that works for you. And walking counts. You know, one of the things that people think about when they think of exercise is often slogging it out at the gym, lifting heavy weights, putting on their, their Lululemon cool outfit and going to the gym and uh, having everyone watch them get on the machine or lift the weights or do whatever they're going to do. But the fact is walking your dog counts and um, yoga counts. Everything counts. And coming up with a plan that works for you that includes strength, cardio, mobility, recovery. Recovery uh, also is an important form of exercise. It doesn't, you know, re recovery days doesn't mean lie on the couch and watch football. <laughs> right? Right. And so that's, that's number six, is develop a plan where you're moving every day, even if it's very light, but ideally that you have a plan that by the time you've gone through a seven-day cycle, you've worked on the various important elements of health. We know that cardiovascular health is important to our longevity. We know that strength is important to our longevity and to functional fitness and to our basic lifestyle, to be able to lift something, to be able to put a heavy box above our head, to be able to even go up several flights of stairs requires a certain amount just of, of strength. Plus the fact is, I think almost everyone feels better when, when, they, when they have a lean look, you know, when, they, when their exercise program yields results in someone saying, hey, you look great, you know. Uh, it looks like you've lost some weight since I saw you. Those are things that we all like to hear, right? And so uh, those benefits words. of, yeah, especially when we've earned them through this strategy of living uh, this strategy for long enough to actually have results that other people would notice. Um, and so having a holistic plan that addresses all of those areas uh, is number six. And then the last one is get seven to nine hours of sleep uh, every night. And that's kind of the magic kind of the bow on the package that pulls everything else together. Because without that, we're not going to recover well. We're not going to be able to manage our stress. We're not going to feel good in the morning to, to hit the gym on those, on those hard workout days that we'll have some of. Um, and uh, we're just not going to be at our best. We're not going to be at our best in our relationships, at our work, nothing. And so seven to nine hours of sleep um, maybe shouldn't even be number seven. I know some people think it should be number one. And I, I can totally see an argument for that. Um, but that is, that is the last one of the seven. Yeah, no, I, I love that you mentioned that, that movement in general should be your goal rather than trying to, to hit the gym hard, you know, seven days a week. That idea in the fitness industry, you know, no pain, no gain. That sometimes is not the best uh, advice to follow. 
Because if you're, if you're work out so much to the point where you're sore, and you're sore for, you know, three days, four days, that might mean that you move less than if you just did somewhat of a challenging workout, and then you, you returned, you know, and did the same muscle group or that same, um, or a similar workout, like, you know, two days later. And the other thing that I always remind my clients is that the the calories or the, the energy expenditure that you're you know burning in your workout is it's a small portion of your total metabolic rate and all the calories that you're going to be moving throughout your day so even things like parking far away from you know the store or taking the you know the stairs versus the elevator it'll add up it's gonna you know help you in those those bigger goals that you have of weight loss or um you know, just getting stronger and, and feeling you're like you're more mobile and you can, you know, like you're saying, you can lift boxes easier. You can, you know, bend down and like, you know, pet your dog or play with your kids. And it, it just makes life more, more easier, more doable. Yeah. I love the research that's being done in the blue zones. You know, there's uh, an area of Japan, one in Greece, one in Russia, and one in California, Loma Linda, where people tend to live extraordinarily long, healthy lives. And they call them the blue zones, and there's a lot of research been done on those people. And what's fascinating about them, Teresa, and I'm sure you already know this, is that there's no commonality among the diet. The four areas have completely different diets. The Okinawa diet is heavy on rice and fish and vegetables. The Greek diet is Mediterranean. The Russian diet has a ton of dairy and so on. And so there's no nutritional rules that have led to this success. And... Very few of these people have a gym that they go to on a regular basis, but their lifestyles involve a ton of natural movement. A lot of the people live off of the land. So we think of the farmer who doesn't get up and hit the gym. He hits the barn, right? <laughs> Maybe he throws a couple of bales of hay to the horses and then milks some cows and then goes out in the field, rides the horse around. And again, horse riding might look like it's super easy and not burning calories, but it's actually some exercise. And he walks a lot of places. And by the time the day is done, he's burned a thousand calories naturally. And it all added up. And so I think that blue zone research is fascinating. Uh, but I, I have had two experts on my, on my own podcast about the blue zones. And one of them corrected me because I, I focused totally on nutrition and, and, and exercise in those episodes. And, and she said to me, Dave, you're missing maybe the most important part. It goes back to what I said about meditation earlier. She said, these people live in close societies, in multi-generational families. They're eating together. They're not just eating healthy food but they're eating it with their grandparents and there's laughing and there's storytelling and they're eating slowly because they sit around for an hour and a half having a good time as a family around the dinner table. These cultural values uh, that, they, that they share include strong family ties and strong local ties, uh, dances uh, in the barns on a regular basis, right? All the people are getting together. Mm -hmm. There's this, they have less stress, less time on social media. Um, more time uh, living with the circadian rhythms of of the of the earth, and so I thought that was really a great correction for me to think less in terms of the physicality of it and take more into account the 
stress management side, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, that that may actually be the foundation to all of this. Uh, that that uh, especially so for those of you listening, I, I think you know if you're that if you're that person that you're frustrated because you you feel like you've tried everything, but you haven't reached your goals. It could be that you need to stop looking at physical answers and. Uh, start by looking into a, a stress management program for yourself, a daily form of either meditation or prayer, or if you, if you have a, a religion that has stress management, maybe there's a group you could join. I don't know. It, it could be different for everybody. This is a personal thing. I know that mindfulness and meditation is a basis that probably is kind of a backbone of, of anyone's uh, belief system. I think it doesn't conflict with any belief system that I'm aware of. So some form of mindfulness and meditation practice might actually be the thing that you need even more than hitting the gym. It, hitting the gym might come easily after you get on top of the stress management side of things. That's true. I never... Because once you have less of that stress, you can not only focus on the movement that you're doing, but also feel like you have the time and the mental energy to, to go to the gym. Because if you're constantly thinking, oh, well, I need to do this for my kids. I need to do that. Oh, well, I definitely don't have time for a workout right now. But if, like you're saying, if you tone those, those you know, red alarms in the back of your head, you can say, well, I have time. I could do it. I could focus. And there you go. It, it's all a puzzle. It's all a puzzle and all feeds one into another everything is connected like you're saying it's a it's a holistic it's a holistic view that you have to that you have to look at your health and fitness it's things aren't separate it's all connected i agree even even that sense that sense of i don't have any time i i can't remember who said it i think it might have been Thich Nhat han or one of the great zen teachers i can't remember but but uh, i think it was on um uh, Oprah Winfrey being interviewed, and she said, how long do you meditate for? He said, I, I meditate for half an hour, unless I feel like I don't have time, and then I meditate for an hour. Huh. Interesting. Because that sense of I don't have time is actually mostly an emotional sense that we tend to live with and not deal with. And I know a lot of people just reject this. No, 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 you should see my, my schedule. I literally don't have time. <laughs> yeah, but where did that all come from? Where did your schedule come from? If, if you got in a, a car accident, God forbid, and, and spent the next few years in the hospital, uh, two months from now, would your life really be that deprived because you didn't do your to-do list for two days? Really? Like, like, the fact is this sense of urgency, the sense of I have to do this, now I have to do that, now I have to do this, that actually is part of the problem. And, and, and that's part of the, one of the things you can deal with through your mindfulness and meditation. As a matter of fact, one of the things that has happened in my life through my own habit of, of meditation is I do a lot less stuff now. In my business, I do less, I have, I have less tasks on my plate. I've, I've learned what the things are that I have to do and those things that I don't have to do, I don't do. But a lot of this comes from our emotions. We feel like we have to do something mm -hmm. And we tend to, again, let our monkey mind just run the show. But when right. we... It's fear, fear yeah. of not being productive enough. Fear right. of, well, if I'm not busy then, or if I'm not trying to be busy, then I'm, I won't reach my goals or I won't, um, you know, 
whatever fear it is that you're saying that monkey brain is is screaming at you you have to be busy you have to be busy and i think obviously you know part is influenced by our culture and that that american dream and the hustle environment that we we in america have grown up with but like you say we've lost touch with being silent with letting our mind explore and just relax in our imaginative uh realm you could call it because that's when innovation happens where you find oh well you know maybe i could you know do my to-do list this way and then that clears up time or like you say maybe i don't have to do all this other stuff it's not as important or it's not urgent right now i could do it later yeah, and that's and it's a difficult thing to conquer and a difficult thing to figure out, uh, but it's well worth pursuing. And uh, and the fact is, to build a successful business or a successful life or a successful health plan, you don't need to accomplish twenty five things in a day. As a matter of fact, um, in my business, um, I have what I call the one thing, and all my employees know about the one thing. And every single day, I ask everyone to start their day by going, what is the one thing that if you got done, and then an emergency came up so you couldn't do anything else, but if you had that one thing done, that everything else would be okay, what is that one thing? And there's always a one thing, and I always write that down at the beginning of my day. The one thing I have to do today that's more important than everything else is this. And I actually do that before I check my email, before I do anything, I do that one thing. And it, it's amazing how one thing a day can create a multi-million dollar business. It's not 25 things a day. There's usually just one, maybe two, that must be done, and the rest is details. I think, you know, this could be also applied to our health and fitness, because I see, even myself included, my clients, I see it too, where we start to think, well, what, what's better? Is, you know, this version of organic chicken or organic eggs better? Oh, is it better to, to boil my, you know, uh, uh, broccoli or is it better to eat it raw? You know, we get into all these little minute details that we forget, like, the, like you say, the one thing. What's the one key thing that I need to focus on? Is it that I need to cook? Is it that I need to find a recipe? Because like you say, it, it, gets, it gets overwhelming and then we maintain in that, that fear, that cortisol, you know, mindset where everything either doesn't get done, we feel like a failure, or we can't sleep at night and we can't recover. It's all connected. <laughs> it, it is all connected. And I, I, I tend to think that most people in modern society take on too much uh, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish mm. in a day and a week, mm -hmm. and we tend to underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. Mm. And so I, I think taking this approach of simplicity, of elimination, that it's more important probably to get rid of some things in our life than to add new things for the vast majority of people. It's better to have time in our day to be contemplative than to pack our day so full that we're just going, 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 and just charging up that that stress that then affects everything else negatively. And then we end up not achieving our goals anyway, because we can't 
get it all done. It's all an illusion that we can. We tell ourselves we can do all of this stuff. The problem is we make this plan. We forget that we're on someone else's plan. Someone else needs us to do something as well. And so even if we fill our calendar, it only takes one person to come to us with a problem that they need our help with. And all of a sudden our plan is ruined. And so then we're helping someone who needs help, but we're doing it grudgingly because we haven't allowed space for anyone else in our plan. So there's so much that goes goes into this, but I, I'd say generally speaking, simple is better, less is more. Doing one thing really mindfully is often better than doing three things haphazardly. Right. Um, so yeah, that that's where I've I've come to in my life anyway. Not not perfectly by any means. All this stuff I'm telling you guys, I have all the same challenges as everyone else. I still have my bad days. I still have my days that I pack full. I'm still a work in progress. So I, I don't want to sound like I have, you know, solved the problems of life, the universe, <laughs> and everything. I haven't. These are philosophies I try to live by the best but I it, can. It, it goes back to this all or nothing thinking. We're never gonna reach this perfect uh, version of ourselves that we can create in our mind that does everything perfectly, that can do everything in, in a day, like you're saying. Um, it's it's all a progress. It's all a journey. And each stage in our life, each uh, year is going to be a li little bit different, a little bit, you know, we have to either face new challenges or re refocus our plan to adapt to whatever is going on in our life at that moment. But as I feel like as long as you have these foundational principles to live by, everything, can, you can find a solution. You have the guide. Now you just have to figure out, well, okay, well, which street am I going to turn to get to my, my, to keep going, to keep going on my journey? Well said. I love that. I love that. And that really is a great way of summing it up. Because um, I don't even know if I used the word principles like you just did right there, but really you just really sum that up. When you, you live by principles, not by a map, you're not trying to create a detailed map because your map can get blown up. Uh, it's like, you know, living by a compass versus a map, right? The compass tells you the right direction and then you can zig and zag across the ter territory and train as it comes uh, where the map can be inaccurate and lead you to problems. And if you're trying to follow an exact thing, it, it may not work. But that's why I love the principles of the, our undiet because they may not any one of them be a silver bullet, but together it is a silver bullet lifestyle. Um, and I think that's true in all areas of our life, that there's a, there's a strategy in our business life, there's a strategy in our family relationships, of certain formulas we have to follow. If we're married, there's a certain amount of time we have to put into uh, our, our marriage or our partner if we're not married, whatever. Whatever our important relationships are, there's certain things we have to commit ourselves to to keep those uh, alive. It's the same in any service that we do, if we're involved in charity work, whatever. Uh, we're only gonna be successful if we have uh, these principles that we're following and if we're not packing our lives so full that we have these desires to accomplish certain things, but um, we can never do them because we're just drowning in minutia. Wow, we have talked about so many great things in this episode. I, I think this is going to be one of my favorite episodes on this podcast. Um, is there anything that you felt like you want to talk or, or share with the listeners that we haven't yet 
uh, address through. I do have a 10-page PDF that has a lot more detail about these principles. I'd love for people to get it. Um, in the show notes when you publish, you'll have a code that you can get 10% off, right? Yes. So the, the code that he's referring to is to the supplement company, and it's the, can you remind me the, the website name? Dirobi.com, D-I-R-O-B-I.com. There we go. So you can get started with the supplements that are the easiest thing to get started. So I think this is a, the perfect time to kind of introduce the Manifest Challenge. For any uh, new listeners, the Manifest Challenge is an action step or like a takeaway that from this episode that will help you in your, your health and fitness journey that helps kind of give you an action to uh, follow these principles to guide your life to, in your journey. Um, so one of the ones that we had mentioned is to to look on Dave's website, his supplement company, and get started with with getting your uh, supplement arsenal. Because he was saying it's whereas to get into the gym, to get into a fitness routine, it requires some planning and and you know commitment, uh, time commitment. But with when it comes to supplements, it's it's one of the easiest first steps. And then you had also mentioned, um, I believe it was two more um, manifest challenge options. So listeners can have a few options here. Yeah, just uh, just one more actually. So, so the first one's the one you said is take your supplements. And hey, if they're not my supplements, no harm, no foul. I get it. But trust me, if you do your blood work, you're going to find you're deficient on stuff. And so taking a good multi and a mineral supplement is a fantastic place to start. And as Teresa said... Supplements are supplemental to a good diet, but they're also the easiest thing to do. You just swallow them. <laughs> and so it is a great place to start because it's an easy habit to develop. And then the other is to download and read uh, the book, The Undiet. And if you go to dirobi.com, there's a page called Resources. There's actually quite a few downloadable resources there, and they're, pr they're pretty interesting. Stuff that you can print and put on your fridge. Uh, one we have is called the uh, virtuous cycle, the 24-hour cycle of health and how what's happening in that as you follow the undiet. It's kind of an interesting graphic to look at, but the 10-page undiet book, I'd love for you guys to read it. It's free um, and we'll give you more detail. Like I said, it's only 10 pages, but I'll give you more detail and, and, and that on these principles and give it a try because it might be easier than something you're following. Or maybe you're not following something very specific right now, don't really have a guide, you're looking for something you can follow that's that's easy, but as a system could give you some profound improvement in your health. So maybe you'll find that in the Dirobian diet. So either start taking your supplements, because that's principle number five, or download and read the Dirobian diet. There, there is no one size fits all. Um, one of the things I like about these principles though is if you look at all the named diets, you know, there's so many. I mean, there's keto and paleo and Mediterranean. There's all these different named diets, but very few of them are holistic systems. And so that's what mm -hmm. I've tried to accomplish here is to give someone more than just a diet. Because like I said, a diet isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. The diet or the gym, they're just two pieces of a seven-part puzzle. And so um, that that's what I think. And if you have... Uh, an eighth you want to add, that's fine, but I, I guarantee you can't, you know, there might be something else that you need to do that's specific to you, but I know that for just about everybody out there, following these seven principles will get them to their health goals. It's just a matter of time. There you go. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for spending your time here on the Fitness Manifest podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, I will link all of uh, Dave's social media and website and the resources that he mentioned on the uh, episode 
down in the description box. Um, but until then, this is it for the episode. Thank you so much. If you don't want to do what I want to do, let's effects might include motivation, empowerment, giggles, enlightenment, inspiration. Bloop, bloop.